Did it go? I didn't see the countdown. It did oh go. my gosh. Here I was waiting with bated breath. And the first thing you say is, did it go? <laughs> Are we on? Welcome. Welcome to Did It Go, the podcast. <laughs> uh, this is another episode of RTFM, the RPG Book Club podcast. Today we are talking about Agon, a fantasy RPG by many designers. We'll get into the details later. Uh, I'm Aaron at AaronMFKing on Twitter. I am Max uh, at MaxwellLander on Twitter. I wish I could change it, but can't. That's where I'm at. And then we have a super cool guest today. Tyler, you can introduce yourself. Oh cool. my gosh! I am Tyler Crumrine. Uh, long time, short time. At Possible W Games on, on Twitter. Uh, and Possible Worlds Games elsewhere. Because uh, other places don't have character limits. Yeah, Tyler uh, is the recipient of the Friends at the Table Game Design Residency 2022. You know, I was just thinking about that earlier today, not in a uh, like a hoity-toity way, but they've played six games that I have either designed or worked on. Yeah, because two I love... of them were games that I edited, and at a certain point, like it just <laughs> they got to complete the set. Yeah, I got to play Friends them all. At the table, I, I it's like the only actual play podcast that I've listened to consistently. I think they do great work, and it's always cool to see games from people I know. And they've played Hounds by you. They've played... Um... They played Hounds. They played Wishless. They played Guess Who Done It. They played Beak, Feather, and Bone. And then um, they played one of the games from uh, Adam Voss's collection, Wish You Were Here. And they did uh, Scene the editor for. Oh, did I say wishlist? I meant scene thieves. Yes, they did um, the the scene thieves episode. Super excellent. If you're curious, you know, if you come out of this podcast and you're like, I want to hear what Tyler's games sound like when the rubber hits the road, um, find that Friends of the Table episode of Scene Thieves. Yeah, but I think that like it is less a testament to me as a designer. Like, I do not think that these games are on Friends of the Table because, like, I'm the best at designing games. I think it is a testament to how influential Friends of the Table and the way that they play games and tell stories has been to designers like me. Because that is a show that made me want to get into, you know, like indie rpgs in general and then also like expanding my thinking about designing uh indie rpgs and things like that and so i think it's more just the other way around that like i have unconsciously been writing games that are custom tailored to friends at the table <laughs> so they're just like oh yeah this this kind of <laughs> seems like the, something we do i was like yeah, yeah I, I guess it does um cool so we've heard about possible worlds games We've heard about some of the games that you've made. Um, we might get into some of this other stuff later, but if you wanted to talk about, I know you run games at libraries. I know you have a background in theater and editing and like uh, small run publishing and stuff. Yeah, which is like, I've, I've had a pretty weird, circuitous uh, career. Um I, I was working in the theater for about a decade 
Um, I was what's called a dramaturg, which is the most pretentious title in the theater, but essentially an editor for plays. Uh, and my specialty was new play development. And I kind of worked my way up the ladder on that. Um, I worked off Broadway in New York for a little while, um, kept trying to do like weirder and weirder stuff on bigger and bigger stages. Like my my real bread and butter is impossible theater, like plays that you read them. And it's like, how in the world would anyone stage that? And it's like a challenge to the director and the design team to how to like metaphorically uh, represent aspects of it using like that, stagecraft. Like that Spider-Man musical. Exactly. You got to turn kidding. off the dark. I, no, it's like, actually... what does it mean <laughs> to turn off the dark? I have been involved in various ways with like lots of like site-based theater. Um, like I live in this house and I wrote this play and you will come to my house and go in whatever room you want. And there's stuff going on in every room. And like, I, I feel like we bonded about this very early. Yeah. And I think it's great. I have talked about before, like how lucky I was to learn role-playing games from people involved in theater and improv. And, um, Obviously, well, like with Dimension 20, improv has taken a front seat in a lot of kind of D&D stuff. But like the marriage of weird indie RPGs with weird avant-garde theater is something that I am always on the lookout for. Yeah. And so it was one of those things where I didn't really get much of an RPG education. Uh, I was just working in theater for a decade i i ran a small press will still run but it is in uh the process of like transitioning how it runs things to make it more sustainable now that so much of my attention is devoted to games but um a small press for experimental theater called plays in verse um so i had learned editing i had learned design through that i uh had like a lot of education and experience with storytelling with play uh but I was never really a deep RPG nerd. Like, I did not play games growing up, with the exception of um, the role-playing form for the Magi Nation dual card game, uh, which I was a very active member in. Um, but, like, I never sat down and rolled dice until I was an adult. Um, and so, really, it was, like, podcasts like Friends at the Table kind of expanding my thinking beyond just, like, okay, D&D. Um, and then also like realizing how much of an intersection there was between like the playwriting workshops I was running that were all devising based and like playwriting games where it's like, okay, we're going to improvise characters and then kind of pick and choose what are our favorite things that we want to include in a formalized text later. Um, all of that was stuff that when my theater career abruptly ended because of a global pandemic um and you know just like anyone who wasn't full-time salaried staff on theaters and dramaturgs were largely freelancers uh just got kicked to the wayside uh and so i had to pivot to something and thankfully i had been chipping away at beak feather and bone um, my map labeling rpg and when that kick started it did a lot better than i thought it would and i just started leaning into that momentum and so Two and a half, three years later, now I am a full-time game designer, and I 
am looking back and trying to take some of my theater experiences and work them into the games that I'm working on now, which is where games like Scene Thieves uh, came from, which is like my improvise props kind of thing. But all that to say, I had a weird chip on my shoulder for a long time about the fact that I hadn't read a lot of RPG books. Like I'd read a lot of theater books and I knew the kind of games that I liked, but there were so many different like weird old books out there. Some that like people would talk about and I'd be like, oh yeah, I definitely know what Torg is. Um, or ones where like I would just see it in a hobby store and be like, I have no context for whether this is like bargain bin back alley garbage um, or if this is like a really important game that everyone talks about. So I've been loving Read the Fucking Manual because you're doing a lot of that work for me of going back and like reading these books and be like, oh, I was I was right to not care about these things. <laughs> we're, we're the dramaturgs of our yeah. movies. We're going back and researching. Well, you really are doing a lot of cool. I think you talked about it on the um, it's not Heckheads. That is the campaign that we played Gam- with Will. Gamma, Gamma World. World. Okay. Yeah. Uh, keep an eye out for Heckheads. I think that Will uh, is going to be the previous building it out heads. into something. Yes. Um, but it was there that like and playing Gamma World with Will that I realized like, oh, it can be really fun to do this kind of like archaeological reading um, and playing of older games. And so I did something that is either going to be like forbidden knowledge to some people like like do not do not open this gateway um and really useful for others maybe for this podcast but are you familiar with the website pick click p-i-c-c-l-i-c-k so it is just a website that lets you search ebay faster you can put in a search and it will remember the searches you've made. Is this a sponsored segment? No, no, it's not. Legitimately, I just use this website all the time. <laughs> so it will save like your recent searches. So say, and this is something that I did for far too long, just because like I was like, well, I should read everything. If it's cheap enough, I should read it. I just put in a search for like role-playing game book and TTRPG, and <laughs> it gives you just a lineup of things so just you know start of the morning before i check twitter i would get on pick click and i would just look through a wall of listings all of them visually represented and see if there were any rpg books that i had never seen or heard of before and if they were sufficiently cheap i would just buy it like all right five dollars you know whatever and that is how i found a gone uh or agon or agony i don't know um but that's how i found this game because i saw it listed and the description was like okay this is an rpg based on french novels no they're not translated into english don't even ask and the magic is all based on like weird art and theater and i was like oh my gosh this sounds amazing. And so I bought it and then promptly didn't touch it for at least a year until <laughs> you all started the podcast. And I was like, well, I've got now this is the time. Now's the time. If you're if you're looking for an episode that is just truly going in blind, this is a book for it. 
<laughs> I think this is uh, the first book that we've read that I had never heard of. Yeah. That I was like, I have no idea what this is. Great, let's do it. Yeah, so this is Agone. Uh, brief potential content warning, like there's some sexual content in this book for sure, including like some non-consensual stuff and some weird unclear consensual stuff. I don't know that we'll get into it, but um, just to let you know ahead of time. Um, this is a book that tries to have its cake and eat it too in well, a number it's... of ways. And <laughs> I'm not sure. And that's the thing. It is tied to a series of novels that supposedly is successful, popular. I, I think there are like 30-some books for this RPG in France. Um, and so much of the RPG seems to be like, well, this is something that was in the books. Yeah. And so we kind of have to like stay true to the books and like, you know, have this like weird kind of dark edgelord stuff in there. But then there are also like role playing guide designer notes off to the side being like, well, you know, be smart and be safe yeah. and like. Actually, if you interpret it this way, it can be a lot better. And so much of this book is just like reading the design and wishing it was carried over into the actual lore. <laughs> like the things that they were designing towards was actually the world that they were communicating. All right. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Agone I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was published in French in 1999, <laughs> published in English in 2001. Um, just for some context, like uh, Vampire the Masquerade was published in 1991, Sorcerer uh, in 1998. You could maybe view those as precursors or adjacent to this. Uh, there are 10 designers listing the credits. I'm not going to go over them all. One of them is Mathieu Gaborit, uh, who is the fantasy author uh, that wrote a bunch of novels that this game is based on. Like Tyler said, there's over 30 supplements for this game published in French. Um, five of those got translated into English, including the base book and like oh. a, a game master screen kind of thing. Yeah, part one. Um, so excited to come back. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> the mechanics for this game don't show up until hundreds of pages into the book. It's but, hilarious. Which we know I am a huge fan it of. It is. I love it so much. There is just, just like give... the arrangement of this book is like just comedic. Yeah, and it's it's bad. Uh, but I am just going to give a brief overview here. Um, your character has a bunch of stats and skills, um, very similar to what you might find in Cyberpunk or Vampire, um, like double digits modifiers for sure. Uh, you will roll a d10. And you will add the applicable things. There are exploding dice sometimes. And then there are imploding low dice if you roll a one. Okay, okay. <laughs> I <laughs> like that. Listen. <laughs> also, <laughs> there are... you. I feel like... Listen, I'm not going to try and summarize these rules. They're fucking ridiculous. Um, They're elegant. <laughs> sure, sure. I guess that's a word. They're French. I mean, they, they're cer they certainly might be French. Uh there are closed and open rolls is the main thing, and open rolls can explode negatively or positively, but closed rolls are just a little safer, but like more boring. I don't know. Yeah. Wild. And there's too many modifiers. Everything is 
700 miles. Well, I think they specifically call out Call of Cthulhu at some point, right? As being At the end, they say there's yeah. like four different ways you can play it, and one of them is Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, I think they're calling out in like genre comparisons, and they're like, we're going to call it Call of Cthulhu because we like that book a lot, which makes a lot of sense with like the point by stuff, which I think is how Call of Cthulhu is run. I don't know. I've only played Delta Green. Aaron has vetoed Call of Cthulhu, so I will never know how Call of Cthulhu is run. Because yeah. there's no world in which I read it outside of this podcast. <laughs> but we might we might read RuneQuest, which is fantasy Call of Cthulhu. That's fair, yes. Um, anyway, so yeah, we're like jumping all over the place. It's because there's just too much book. I Yes, which is fair, because this book approaches, I think, 400 pages. It is not laid out very well. Um, but I do want to try to keep us on some sort of linear... Uh, track here uh, the book starts there's an introduction about what is a role-playing game oh there is right we're gonna this is it this is it discourse is happening it's good (laughs) and Uh, yes there was some recent discourse about what is a role-playing game or what is this uh, game somebody had the audacity to tweet a a harmless opinion about their uh, experience in library sciences and the internet just decided uh, to fucking (laughs) run with it I got involved in some discourse. Um, you started it. You started the discourse. Now, I'm sorry, Aaron, but before we get to what is a role-playing game, you've glossed right over the flavor text introduction. <laughs> because not only is this a role-playing game book, this is a role-playing book that is narrated to you by a, a wizened old man who's collected all of his knowledge and trinkets and is bestowing them to you, the new eminent scries. Uh, that's what they call GMs in this book, and it's I, never not douchey. I I liked the flavor text. <laughs> I meant the eminence Christ. I mean, yeah, I I don't really have any feeling about that combination of words, but it does have this, like, framing device that I'm like, okay, all right. Like, I am not familiar with this world by virtue of the fact that it was never translated to English. I appreciate having this kindly old man walking me through it. I skipped so much of the flavor text. So much of the flavor text, I was like, no, absolutely not. I generally don't like old men or flavor text, and so... Uh, <laughs> yeah, also same. We're a misandrist right. podcast. Just <laughs> I think uh, we've made that really clear, but I thought I'd just... But it, it is... Right it, you're right. It is... And I think, you know, if you're trying to place this game in some sort of genealogy of RPGs, like, it does feel like a World of Darkness RPG. Yeah, like, 100%. there is a, a 90s word processor italicized, quote-unquote, handwriting font first person in universe fiction oh and it's game. printed on like parchment yes texture oh images. so part of why i had such a hard time reading this is because like that th- so there's a section in the middle of the book that's in color right and yes. it it works a little when the parchment texture is in color it has an okay contrast on the text, but for every other page, the parchment texture is in black and white, and then there's just black text on top of it. So it just, all of the text is over just splotch. It's, it's just a splotchy paper. Sometimes it's there are horrible. just straight up like black spots where mm-hmm. you cannot read the black text that is going through it. It's miserable. It makes it very hard to pay attention to the fact that there are words on these pages. 
The fact that there are so many words on these pages also makes it so hard to pay attention to the fact that there are words on these pages. <laughs> Before you talk shit, let's hear the one I good thing. I can only talk shit. Let's hear what is a role-playing game? What is a role-playing game? I'm unfamiliar. A role-playing game is a game. <laughs> how it starts. Role yeah. Game is a game. It's good. Uh, do I have to read this whole thing? I feel like I've got to read part no, of it. No, don't. I, yeah, read part of it for sure. Uh, it is a leisure activity that brings people together to have fun. Unlike most board games, it is not based entirely on luck or stat strategy. Above all, it calls for imagination and cooperation. The basic assumption of a role-playing game is that the players actively participate in an imaginary adventure, each individual adopting a character to act out. In general, from two to six or more players sit around a table, presiding at the table... Uh, is a rather special player, usually called the Game Master, who already knows the story that the other players are about to discover. Or rather, he knows the starting point, the main thread, and its principal elements of the stories. For it is the players, through their decisions and their actions, who will be the main actors carrying the story forward, and doubtless causing changes. There is a section of this at the end that I also thought was kind of cool, which is the, what do you do is role-playing's magic phrase. I think oh. that sentence... <laughs> is just there was another uh sentence that i really liked that was um just a great encapsulation of it uh the story told by the game master is a pretext allowing you to enjoy extraordinary adventures with your friends like that's great yeah just acknowledging in the book like yeah all of this is just a pretext to having good time with your friends it's hot Uh, shit there's also there's an entire paragraph saying like hey do you want to be like Obi-Wan Kenobi? You can do that. That's fine. Like you can play with other people's toys. That's not against the rules. Like we are just giving you toys to play with, um, which I really appreciated. Like from the start, I was like, oh man, we've got an old guy doing introductions. We've got honestly like a very forward thinking ahead of its time uh, explanation of role playing that is like, smart and concise but also pretty humble about like what the book can do and then it just really spirals off from there yeah yeah the whole like i don't want to read it all because it would take a long time but like it's what one two three four five six seven paragraphs the what is a role playing and like they're all solid yeah like no part of it was bad and i was like this is good in fact there's also a little section about heroic fantasy afterwards saying like hey you can play role-playing games in all kinds of genres but this is heroic fantasy and the last thing it does in that section is something that i think i might start doing in more games is it gives keywords for the genre says the keywords in heroic fantasy are dreams adventure journey escape and wonder which i think is just yeah that's like a good thing to start with and it does similar stuff for the setting of this game saying like all right this is a game about art and inspiration this is a game about like war and resistance you know all these different kinds of things um and as a player i would love to be sat down at a table and say like yeah here are like our touchstone words yeah all right we've heard the good Buckle in, everybody. <laughs> it's all downhill from I, here. To me, I think that probably Tyler has some like positive points, has more positive outlook on this than I do. Not uh, as for the usual. next hundred pages or so. <laughs> oh, yeah, so the next hundred pages is the history and geography and uh, political status quo of this world. It's and it's Aaron's told, favorite thing. It's all told. Lore. Oh, it is my least favorite thing. (laughs) 
I actively took 50 of these pages and reduced it to three pages of a Bible that I made up. Which is great. To cope with. <laughs> I'll put the t- tweets in the episode description, but like, it's just a wall of unevocative text with lots of capital letter nouns. Um, it's also like, I don't know. I was trying to figure out. I, I thought, so in this new season format we're in, like part of what I really liked about the last episode or what I felt like was so strong about the last episode is that we kind of took something that the book was talking about and then had like a broader discussion about it. Um, and what I was potentially going to suggest, although I think there's many things that could be done, was just like the inclusion of lore in a book, just like as a topic, because I know that you hate it. I don't love it. I don't hate it. I love it in moderation. Uh, let's mute Tyler. Let's kick Tyler off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that, like, the the hard thing is, and this is part of why I wanted to talk about this book, is, like, not to get too, like, big head literary about it, but I think that there is something very interesting about reading a role-playing game based on a licensed property that we do not have and cannot have access to, like assuming we are not French speakers. Uh, And so it is boring, but it is fascinating reading, you know, like a hundred pages of lore and not knowing, is this what the game designers thought would be most useful to the players or is this doing double duty of like all right the original french edition of this like someone is picking up lord of the rings the role-playing game and what they are expecting is to see like further descriptions of all the little places that were touched on in lord of the rings or play out their favorite characters and all these different kinds of things like that like it took until the back of the book, or I guess it was teased earlier, for me to figure out why the game is named Agon um, or Aegon. I, I I was really ho- I did look up a YouTube uh, review where a French reviewer thought it was like Agon. Um, Agon. I was really hoping it was like Agony. Uh-huh. Me too. Yes. It's like wanted, oh, it it hurts. It I am in Agony. All three syllables in there. There's um, no. <laughs> There's no accent, you guys. You need the you need the accent for it to. Be yeah, I'm, I am doing way. an accent. <laughs> That's not the accent I mean. It's fine. Um, uh, so the, it is like, but Agon is a guy. Like I think it's just the protagonist of the novels. Oh, are you saying it's pronounced a guy? A guy. <laughs> yeah. Because we covered that in our last episode. Uh, I love a guy. Um, <laughs> Your but guy. The okay. thing, like. It's basically like, what if someone named the Lord of the Rings role-playing game Aragorn? And like, every once in a while, it'll say like, there was this guy named Agon, and he did some really cool stuff, and maybe you'll meet him on your adventures. Well, the (laughs) other parallel I was drawing a lot was with The Witcher, which is a Polish fantasy series. You can't make a parallel with The Witcher. I was going to bring up The Witcher, too. But... You can't make the parallel because The Witcher is the singular adaptation that was done well in each of the mediums it was ad- adapted to. Right, right. No, I no just... nothing else has ever worked. Right. I, 
I would weigh in, but Witcher, I hardly know her. Um, which is unfortunate. I'd love to be introduced. Um, um, just hasn't happened yet. I definitely have a note that says, would I care more if I read the novels? And so, yes, I, I agree. I also think there is an aspect here of translation. And I'm sure Tyler has dealt with this. Yes, I regarding worked with plays that... A number uh, of plays in translation. And it's, yeah. um, it's always tricky. Translation is hard. Translation is a very subjective act. And... Sometimes there are just like sentences that it seemed like did not make it through a fluent English speaker or, you know, were roughly translated and left as is like words seem missing from certain sentences. And so sometimes for the better, sometimes (laughs) it's maybe just like, wow, that bit was like really weird. I wish more words were missing. I wish more of the words had gone missing. Do either of you want to try and like, I feel like I can give a summary of the lore of this RPG, but if someone else would like to take a stab at it first, they're more I did. Than I wrote I actually wrote the original Bible. I untranslated That's true. it. Yeah. Um I'm gonna do this from memory. I actually started this months ago. I started reading this book months ago because I knew how long it would be and how long it would take me. It is only three hundred pages, so I will be suing you for slander on behalf of the book. Um afterwards you can't sue me for french people they don't <laughs> they don't true. count in america oh sacre uh, bleu. maybe if you were in canada you'd have a case um there, live there? i don't yeah. want to give a summary <laughs> i i will I tell you what this game this. is i will tell you what this game is people okay, you have, have to s- do it in three minutes or less this is the dark souls <laughs> rpg no no, no, Legitimately, no. it is. No. There are people without magic called the Dullin. There was a time when people got magic called the Flamboyance. It is the flame of, like, inspiration is the spark that gives everyone these magical powers. It is legitimately Dark Souls. And people... I would just like to say that people need <laughs> no. to start are... playing Agon if they want a true gamer experience. People are happy and wealthy in this game, so it can't be the Dark Souls of That's RPGs. true. Your, your character is canonically happy and wealthy. That is an interesting thing about this game uh, also have to start also happy very happy. powerful yes. yes um so i the way i understand it is like all right so we got this whole origin myth with the three muses four. Um, there's four muses well the fourth one accidentally happens right no the fifth one accidentally happens shoot <laughs> got that bonus muse all right so, <laughs> so there wait but i am playing in new muse plus oh yeah no that checks out um so had these muses um they tried to create a perfect world that was a mistake accidentally gave birth to uh the mask which is like a manifestation of i think theater I, somebody I, stop me yeah like that mask. yeah that mask exactly i wish um, you and wish so somebody would stop them. The mask. No, I wish somebody I think, would make the mask RPG. Created. <laughs> I, I want to be the dog. <laughs> that would be very good. I think the mask created humans as agents of chaos in a play, and that made the world go out of control. But then the muses granted the humans magic, and everyone had magic, and that's how they were able to break out of the play. But now magic is faded with time, and the play is trying to start up again. 
So there's definitely, like, a period in the lore where it's like, oh, everyone is a mage, and, like, everyone hates mages because they're way too strong. Um, and there's a whole thing about, like, well, only the people that were alive during this event, you know, get this magical power, and there's a kind of, like, one-in-one-out thing. So as the population grows, not everyone gets a divine spark. Someone has to die with the spark in order for it to be passed on. Um, but anyway... Fall is cursed, and uh, the mask um, starts an alliance with Fall. Oh, yeah, the seasons. I should have known. The seasons are music. See, the, I think There's we four. just. Uh, we fall just... is cursed, night keeps getting longer, and that's real bad. That's the lore. It sucks. It's not actionable. It's 100 pages of things that I... will not be actionable to anyone playing this game. Yeah, it's just a whole bunch of gobbledygook. It also says, like, the players don't have to read the lore, right? Like, this is, it's all in there, like, on the Eminence Grease. It's like, no, this is not not for you. We're going to summarize this later. It does say, um, like, there are the classic role-playing game early section stuff. Like, oh, if you're you're running the game. I I don't know what Eminence Eminence Grease means after reading all of this. I think it's like a maester, like a lore master person in the setting. Um, but it gives a typical, like, don't have your players read everything. You know, only one person needs to read everything. But on page 263, so <laughs> less than 40 pages away from the end, in its GM advice, it says, in any case, avoid too long an introduction in which too many details about <laughs> Harmundia are revealed. It would be boring and useless. <laughs> And that is exactly how all of this feels yeah, as it spends like, 100 hey, pages. Did you like huffing my farts for half of this book? <laughs> now, there are some good things in the lore section. Like, they do a decent job of... With, they start to incorporate, um, like certain regions and towns and peoples and for each of those there's a nice little set aside box that gives like their style of government their language the population split um and then in the description it'll also like specifically call out little paragraphs of saying here are the important cities and towns um here are like some notable magical landmarks in this area See, that it might I just be like, interesting for people to visit. Uh, but all of that is sandwiched <laughs> between just some like real dumb heinous shit. This uh, is where I I don't know if I've done this before, but I need to take thirty seconds to say thank God for the OSR. <laughs> <laughs> the OSR. Uh, the OSR. I don't know who coined the term, but eventually they decided never write a paragraph when a sentence will do. Never write a sentence when a bullet point would do. And I feel like most of this game could have been reduced literally by 90% if they just had evocative bullet points headlined by some really good 12-word sentences. And... um, Max and I had like hinted at this in chat 
Max, do you feel like Fiasco is better now that you have read maybe what <laughs> Fiasco was responding to or what or, or the environment well, I, the Fiasco grew from? The, but we the knew shit filled garden yeah. that Fiasco sprouted from. We knew that. We knew that like every game at the time was written in the, like it does. It reads you could tell me that this was like Agone the artist by fucking the vampire people, right? Like you could tell me that and yeah. I'd be like, great, this I believe it, right? Like it's not there's no discernible uniqueness or difference about this book from any other book written at the time, especially. Well, I think part of it is because it falls into just a ton of lazy tropes. And again, I don't know if that is lazy writing on the part of... Do you mean of... a gone? Oh, yes. Uh, I don't know if this is something that is tied to the novel or something that is tied to the book because they're like who should i be criticizing here for like the regions where it's like oh women are like disrespected and you know sometimes treated as property or the regions that are just like we can just blame men for that one a carbon copy of like um step peoples you know uh with all kinds of like you know horse riding archer type stereotypes and and different things about like oh this is a warlike culture that is more tribal and all these different kinds of things where it's like all right is this there's the larger context of this being written in the time and the place that it was but it is so frustrating for me to be like all right i have to wade through all of this stuff that is just kind of like dumb and we've grown past and it's so frustrating that i think it's in the character creation section um but it's close to here in my notes uh that when it introduces the different races that exist in the setting because there are like trolls and you know all kinds of different kinds of ogres and medusa oh my there's a line that says strictly speaking there is no xenophobia in this setting, which is great. That is a great thing to include in the rules and the lore of your game. I to say that, that there is no xenophobia. I skipped that line and I just read all the other stuff where they talk about how everybody hates one another because of Exactly. <laughs> there is a line that says, like, there's no xenophobia here. And then it describes all the tensions and mistrust between <laughs> these races. And it's Hi. also like, if you're going to say, like, Hey, strictly speaking, no xenophobia in our games, thanks. Why can't you just do the same thing for prejudice against women or, you know, other gender expression or sexual expression? Like, why do you have to say, like, hey, we're all cool here, but sorry, it says on page 60 that, like, you know, guys are going to be dudes and, like, uh, sorry, that's the lore. I am Mathieu Gabory, and I am not racist, but... (laughs) It's like the whole I will of... write racist things. <laughs> right. Um, I do want to say, let's all just name one good thing that we liked about this book. The art fucking rocks. The, the art, art is great. And it jumps between good. like, uh, at least the like very use art. Yeah. looking type stuff. And like, sometimes it goes full anime, which I'm here for. Yeah. I mean, like the actual, the, the like black line illustrations that are in it are like especially when you like of the whenever it's a character portrait or a character illustration i love them like the little yeah. the medusa with the oh whatever. well and that leads to 
I love Medusas. I mean, They're who does? I have a Medusa tattooed on my body. I have the Medusas are really great. Although, Medusas do not turn people to stone. They do take care of their hair snakes, which can poison people. They are forbidden to love anyone. And if they ever fall in love, the hair snakes will try to kill the Medusa herself and or the person she has fallen in love with. And so then she has to go through this intense period of like doing some really tight attentive hair control to keep the snakes <laughs> from killing her or her loved one or she just dies from love. And I think that's very interesting. Um, it would be really interesting if it wasn't a woman-only race that they attribute a lot of those things to. But yeah, and it it's, would, also, it's one of those things where I'm like, that. That's just they say just that about a couple of these races. Like, I think satyrs are only men. Satyrs are only men. Minotaur yeah. are only men. The weird lizard folk that come up later are definitely only men. But uh, they say that like Medusas are only women. But then they talk about when they have a baby and it's a male, it's considered a bastard. And, like, here's how all the ways that they're shunned from the society. And I'm just like, my guy, that you is a Medusa. Right yeah. <laughs> they're, they just, like, aren't respected in the culture. Um, and I agree. There are some, like, cool things about the other races, too. Like, I really liked um, there are sprites. Uh, and sprites, like, are each bonded to, like, a soul tree. Um, and a way that that is mechanically reflected is that a sprite can take damage and, like, miles away have their soul tree take that damage instead. So they're these little guys, but they're actually some of the most, like, robust tanks in the game. But it goes into depth saying that, like, yeah, a sprite can do this, but they shouldn't very often because they love their tree. And, like, it hurts their feelings to hurt the tree in lieu of them. Um, but for everything just... like that, there is something else that is like, well, this is a satyr and they're all horny little guys. Okay, no but women can <laughs> They are them. horny little guys. This is one of those things where I'm like, this game, it wants to be, like, Midsummer Night's Dream. It RPG, really does. Right? Yeah. And, and... On some level, like, I think that you can have, so one of the, the, they're called racial assets in this game, and one of the racial assets of the satyr is just sex. <laughs> it's yeah. just sex. And it says, nobody can satisfy a woman better than a satyr can, an expert in caresses and a master of pleasure. He can overcome any reluctance or modesty. Cringe. Boo. Uh, each town holds a woman who eagerly anticipates his return and will do almost anything he commands. In effect, this provides him a network of influence that can range from a tavern wench to a princess. Now. If you take out the reluctance to modesty part and you just say, this is a horny little guy who wants to fuck, I'm here for it. Like, the that thing doesn't is, bother me. I, but they, you can't, like... They do say that. Yeah. Like, I would like, I would like to, to, you know... Well, they also say the other part, which is, like, if you go to the next page, there's a role-playing tip, like, boxed-out section oh, yeah. away from the main text that specifically says, like, hey, if you want to play... A satyr, like, yes, they are seductive, but that uh, doesn't always mean sex. You know, seductive personality could be that you're a really good salesman or all these kind of things. And they talk through, like, oh, this is a way to play a character that is defined by their seduction and by their, like, energies and their desire. 
but not do it in a gross way. And it's so strange to me that, like, they have the, like, no modesty can resist bit up front. And then at the end, they're like, oh, but actually, like, if we could all just be yeah, cool. Don't be gross. I feel like the thing, like, the thing for me is, like, you can put some of that in your games. Like, I actually wish there was more of that. He's just a weird little guy that wants to fuck in RPGs. Yeah. But, like, but it's the tonal problem here, right? Like, because to me, if you want to do that with satyrs, you're talking about, like, a comedy game. Right. Like the fact that he's super sexual and he just wants to fuck and he has like women in every town that like are pining for him. That also means he has this like cool social network of access. Like that's like that's all playable and is fun to me. But when you keep it like light and fluffy, that's okay. But then this book, there is so much there is so much unnecessary like consent problems, sexual assault, rape in this book. That I'm like, you can't, they don't do both those things. I mean, don't, just don't do the second part of that ever in a game. There's no reason to put that in a role-playing game. Uh, But, like, because it wants to be, like, serious and dark and, like, has, I feel like the tone is, like, the tortured artist tone, not, like, Midsummer Night's Dream in the park tone, you know? Yeah. And and I feel like that's where a lot of those things end up hitting wrong. Like, if you're going to play with these stereotypes from history, because that is what that is for those creatures right same with the medusa is like you know medusa is the 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 excessively desirable woman that you can't ever have right like great that's a big trope which tropes can be fun to play with as long as you don't try and make them real world serious and like reflective of a lot of hard things you know like there's some line there and this book is way far on the other side of that line because like i i totally would play a party that is equal part weird little guys that want to fuck and hot babes who nobody can ever fuck. Like, that, that's fine. This is fine. I would do that. That party would be fun. I mean, it might just be that my group of friends would make that fun and we'd all be fine and safe with one another or whatever. Uh, but I don't trust anything in this game to help you play those well. Uh, one Which thing... is basically your opinion about Fiasco, right? Yeah. Yeah, because you know what? Adapting media bad idea doesn't always do a good thing (laughs) this just goes back to my thesis just because it is like is that this book are the game designers like trying to do a fan service and the Mm -hmm. books have so much of this like dark content in it which again you can put dark content in your novels but like are they trying to make sure that 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 world build where there's like you know lots of violence and lots of darkness and lots of torture and lots of pain is present but then also are people who are then reading back what they're writing and being like, actually, don't do that, you know, because yeah. that's what the commentary feels like. It There's like it, it's around every corner. One thing I do like that they do in the race section um, is at the end of each race description, they have a stakes section where they call out like some plot hooks that you can assign to your character, like a sample stake for the Medusas is the secret of the stone gaze. Since the disappearance of the ladies of the seasons, Medusae have lost their ability to petrify with a look. In the Black Towers, Elder Medusae try to find this lost secret and search for the ladies. And so that is something where it's like, okay, it gives you like four of these for each race, which is like someone from this region, from this upbringing, like this might be something that motivates them, Um, which I like a lot. Uh, Two other notes... I don't know if we've gotten to this. I do not remember what this note is about. 
um, but it is around here. I just wrote down the words, Mineral Insight is rad. Oh, that's the, is that the Spriggans? The Sprites Maybe? or whatever have a have a relationship. It is the, oh, it's the Black Fae. Oh, yeah. They have their racial asset is mineral They're insight. able to speak to the minerals and unlock their secrets. Okay, so in <laughs> Himbo's, my game, my yeah. wonderful game, there is a, there, somebody got the uh, skill Dumb as Rocks, which is a rollable skill that you can get in your character creation in a game that I was playing. And then they were like, well, that means I could talk to rocks. Yes. And I was like, yes, sure. Yes, it does. It 100% means you can talk to rocks. Great news, everybody. Uh, which is just this. has a, a beautiful lineage, like of the rock caller in Labyrinth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's a rock biter in Neverending Story. Like, we need to talk to rocks more. I think. We need to talk to rocks more. I don't uh, like that Abyssum, like the demons, are not a playable race. I think beyond the Minotaur, because I think the lore of the Minotaur is that they are like they escaped uh, underground demons and they have escaped from the abyss. But like there are demons in this setting. And my favorite line in this book uh, from the Abyssum section, uh, and I will read it in quotes. Most demons are treated as if they were just guys by the mortals. <laughs> so we got guys all over the place here. Just guys. Just guys is in guys quotation marks guys. in that quote. <laughs> Treated as if they were just guys. I also... That's how I feel when I, if, you know, back in the old days when I'd go to a bar. Like, yeah, they're just guys. Yeah, just they're guys. just guys. They're just but demon guys. Definite demons. I don't know why. I feel like there's so much stuff in here that there's, this is so rare for me to say. There's too much sex in this book for me. Whoa. It's just, what? It's, well, because it's they just... They made you all... smoke the pack of cigarettes. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> it's because it's, it's all bad, right? Like, it's all bad. It's like we care about, like, birthing, for example. Yeah. As, yeah. like, one of the reasons we bring up sex is because if a minotaur tries to have a baby, it'll kill the mother in childbirth because it has horns. And how grotesque is that? Like, yeah. it's not, like... These things are unnecessary. The least interesting things. Yeah, the least interesting things to do with sex. Which I, like, I am giving so much benefit of the doubt and shade towards uh, Matthew of just being like, well, this must have been like a weird thing he said in a novel and so they had to include it in the game. Because why else would you have it there? It doesn't seem like a particularly interesting motivation for anything or something that would really come up. I don't know. To me, the tone is the same as every shitty, like, 90s, early 2000s Dungeons & Dragons GM who wants to punish their players when they make choices they don't like. Yeah, right? like, like, well, that. how much weight does the horse carry? Well, oh, you're, what's oh, you're, the what yeah. trimester is your fictional wife on? Exactly. Like, oh, you want to play the Minotaur and you're secretly in love with another character? Well, she's going to die when you have a baby, right? Like, it's just this, like, it. I feel like I have played enough games with dudes like that to know that like i it feels like this is just who they're writing it for and also like i do think there's a lot of that like it it does i do think they're pulling a lot on the idea of the tortured artist right like isn't there a whole dancer that is there so the dancers are the way this game does like magic is or one of the ways this game does magic is that you have a dancer that like you can cast the magic for you yeah 
was uh, gonna say it's the song Tiny Dancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah you literally also. have a tiny dancer. You literally have a tiny dancer. It's your like connection to magic, and they have these like connection to magic. Uh... Magic is dancing with you. Exactly, and there's like three of them, and one of them, in order to like cast a spell, has to do something called torture their dancer, and it's this whole like, it's actually torture. It's I actually torture. Want... I love that they like it's called torture. I'm like it's just torture. It's called though, torture because it is because torture. It's torture. And so you have to like, I. It's easy to see the way this would in game manifest as somebody just spending a lot of time describing what they do to their dancer in order to like cast their spell. I think that this is a nice enough transition to character creation. Uh, just, uh, I was like, let's place. skip. Car- We're at an hour right now. <laughs> yeah. No, it's getting great. Uh, so the, um, the point by system is very much like, uh, you know, they're flaws. It's micro GURPS. Yeah. It's There's good GURPS. stuff, bad stuff. And there is like the typical grossness of the time with that too, of there being some, like, you can be, uh, you got all kinds of cool stuff. You can be famous. You can be a lord. You can be a dean. All these different kinds of things. And then our faults are things like, you know, various orphan, kinds of disability. Yeah, or, or like disabled. I'm like, all right, this is this is kind of gross. There is a fault that I love in oh. the character creation faults, and that is cat lover. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah same. Because canonically. <laughs> In the world of this game, dancers, which are your little Pokemon that let you do magic, uh, if you treat them real nice, or maybe not nice, uh, all of them hate cats. And if you take the cat lover fault, you cannot resist cats, and cats are attracted to you. And because of that, your dancer is always really pissy, because you have all these cats around. It's yeah, it's great. Just cats. That's the that's the that's it. That's the best part. That's the one we did it. Yeah. Best parts. It's I mean, it's just like beyond that, because really beyond the lore, this game becomes very generic role playing game at the time. You pick yes. a race, you pick like the do you wanna be do you wanna cast spells through music? Do you want or do you wanna just cast spells through your dancer? But then it's just like it and those things are just frames for here's a bunch of stats. Here's yeah. how you add these stats together, and so you can roll six dice or whatever, and then, and then, do complicated math. About it is very complicated math. The it's I don't not as complicated to... as it could be, but it's just like every single roll you have well, to do a whole bunch of additions and subscription or subtractions. Well, and Aaron mentioned it, but like the central, the central roll being if you roll a zero it explodes as a 10 and if you roll a one it explodes negatively yeah and then you add stuff after the fact which is like it's a cool idea like i like the exploding dice you know on a high and a low but but then don't add anything to it like then like adding a bunch of other dice and then some math to it and then you have to figure out that there's this whole and they tried to do like a a gradiated results, right? Like they tried to do like, you do a really good success, you do kind of a like middling success, and then you kind of do a full failure. Like there's this this difference, how far away you are from the goal you're getting is supposed to help with that, which, you know, an attempt was made. Uh, but I don't, There I, it, it is, it is like 
possibly my least favorite mechanically of the games we've read so far. I do like specialties. Specialties are something that you can assign a specialty to a skill that you have to get a plus one if you are leaning into that specialty. So, for example, if your skill was climbing, you, as a role player, have the agency to say, like, okay, my plus one specialty is going to be rope climbing. And all climbing roles ruled by the skill. If you are climbing a rope because you've established that that is a specialty, you'll always get a plus one. You know, so whatever your skill number is, if it goes up and down, you'll get that plus one with it. And I liked that a lot as a little way to say, like, okay, you know, my book has this big old list of generic skills, but if you can add, like, your own little player backstory spin to it of the, like, subset of that that you're really good at, you'll get a plus one, which I think is nice. But plus one is nothing in this system. Yeah, like, that's so true. Plus one does nothing. Like it is, it is something that I like the intent more than uh, the result. Yeah, it should just be a, like extra dice or something because they add a lot of dice together. So if you're gonna, which I don't always love anyway. Now, one thing uh, about character creation is, um, it does tell you like, okay, characters in um, Agon are like already established. So they are saying that, like, okay, at the start of this game, like, you are someone who's been adventuring for a while. You are, like, middle to late age. You are established within the kingdom. You are an important person. And we are going to give you skill points that reflect that. Which, again, is a really cool idea of, like, playing a game that is about, you know, like... All right, we're going to skip past all the early leveling stuff. But it doesn't really work because everyone is at the same point in their mid-career. So beyond the flavor of saying that, like, you have a past before this, as far as the stats are concerned, they may be telling you, like, oh, yeah, you're at the high end of these stats. But the way the math works out is that, like, If everyone's at the high end of stats, no one's at the high end of stats because the GM is just going to adjust to make sure that there's still challenge. Yeah, especially because it's just a difficulty rating. Yeah. I want to jump to the end of the book with this. (laughs) Well, you would have to jump to the end of the book. I want to be done with this, but I want to say also, (laughs) this, this book is like, you're old, you're good, you're smart, you're cool. Sample adventure, you gotta fight some babies. I feel like the sample adventure is pulled right out of it must the be. novels it's, because it's, it's all about like Agon or Agon or whoever and his like weird pals and like castle. Oh, keepers. so that's the sample setting. Oh, okay. Round Rock. <laughs> What's the sample adventure? Now we're talking about the sample adventure or drama, as it calls it. Well, before I, we need to talk about the dancers, Aaron. Please. Uh, are you, I just feel like you're making me huff Matthew's farts even more. It's there are. I I have something that I want to say about the dancers, and then Please we can do. move on, and then we can. I move will on. huff your farts. I will not. Oh, huff his thank farts. you. <laughs> uh, so the dancers are pretty interesting as a concept. Like you have these weird little Pokemon that like help you do magic. 
Um, and there are three kinds of dancers. There are the Jornists. There are the, what was the other one? The Eclipsists. Eclipsists and the Obscurantists. Those are and, the ones you have to torture. Yeah, so the the Jornists, like, they work with their uh, dancer to get them to do all different kinds of magic, and they do it by being nice to them. And that magic is mostly, like, cool, buff, heel, helpy things. Um, the Eclipsist is, you know, oh, they, like... Their dancers are kept wild, and so there's a wildness to their magic, and you gotta learn to lean with it, buddy. And that gives you all the, like, sneaky stuff. And then, like, the damaging magic, that is mostly to the obscurantists. uh, Because they just, like, straight up, like, torture their dancer, and the pain creates this painful magic. And yeah, what it feels like to me, because the entire book, like in all the lore, it says like, yeah, everyone hates these guys. Like nobody likes them. They're awful. Um, but there's an uneasy truth. So if anybody wants to play as one, like you've got to respect their choice. Yeah. Like yeah. it is very much like here are the villains. Here are the villains of the book. Like more than like any kind of weird lizards that, you know, like need to like take over towns because it's part of their like breeding cycle or you know all the goofy minotaur stuff like you could just say like there are these pokemon trainers called team rocket and they hurt pokemon and they poach pokemon and nobody likes them and so if you run into them kick their ass but because this is like one of the three fields of magic I feel like they were like, oh, well, we got to give people the option to play the weird, sadistic torture guys. And the book bends over backwards to make that seem like an attractive thing. They're like, sometimes sometimes they make the dancers like being treated this way. It's the only the only case I could see for it is that it costs extra points to learn a dance outside of your school. And so I like the idea of like, okay, a peaceful dancer would need to work extra hard to use a fireball spell because usually the easiest way to that is to just like, you know, give them a noogie and except it's like much more extreme than noogies. Um, If you're you're in therapy, the Jornis are a secure attachment style. The Eclipses are an yes. avoidant oh, attachment yes. style. Uh, and the Obscurantists are sort of an anxious and or disorganized attachment style. So if that helps you arrive at what we're talking about. Wonderful. There and we then go. I love it. There are other ways to do magic. Like there's too many ways. There are intuitive magic ways. Which is just like eh, like improvise. You do a thing. Uh, if you don't have a dancer, you can do art. The Vista Magic is painting, Shape is sculpture, Tune is music, Scansion is poetry. I actually love all of these. Like, no, you love a different game that you're reading. I know. Well, this that's list. because like if those I... spells do not have any stats or numbers attached to them. It's all flavor. 
That's not true. They're all skills. They're yeah. all skills. They oh, do have they stats are... and numbers attached yeah, to them. Yeah, I guess they yeah. do. But <laughs> in my ideal idea world, they don't. Yeah. Uh, they fucking hate the harp- harpsichord. If you play music, you are not allowed to play the harpsichord because evidently that is the music of, in the lore of this game. That is the music of the devil, the mask. The and harpsichord so anyone... kicks the shit out of anybody listening to it. Yeah. Um, you can also just like... Maybe your character gets corrupted by darkness and the or GM perfidy. doesn't tell them about that or perfidity and like Yeah, it doesn't tell them until they develop a sexual perversion which requires that they become creepy sexual assaulters. Like that it's one of the this is but that not whole even section of just the book is stupid. Creepy sexual assaulters. It says like, "Oh, maybe they would want to like a guy might have want to have sex with a guy." It's like no, Oh yes, yes. Okay. I'm I'm All right. Done. Yeah, yes. sorry. A sexual gone, perversion right? could just be queerness, a hundred percent. Family can just be two gones. Um, but yeah. it is. But that's another section too, where it says like, "Hey, GM, like maybe don't assign your players this one. Like maybe talk to them and like don't give them this one because like it can be a pretty serious one. You might want to discuss how you'd like to approach it. But it is also like." on the like bullet point list of like well on level 17 this happens of your darkness zone um yeah it's the there every chapter of this book is a different game and all of them are bad every single one of them is a bad game that shouldn't exist yeah i'm quickly arriving at 100 in my darkness zone it's well the wait do you have the sexual perversion for guys for a guys for a goons for i'm a ready goons. to fuck a goon um <laughs> is perfidity the one that is connected to the mask yeah because as you get like as your perfidity score rises you become a more willing uh puppet of the mask and like a more compliant member of this play and so i just really like that this is a role playing game that says the most evil thing in the world you can do is theater is pretend to be someone else to have a little guy that gets puppeted around. So I, the medium is the message here. You know, it's telling us like we shouldn't play this game. Yeah, it's like the Fallout New Vegas DLC dead money. <laughs> There's, but uh, I, I, I have other things that I like and that I want to touch on before Aaron ends this episode, but I would take a moment to breathe. I just want to say... That, like, you wade your way through this book. You really, like, you, you, gotta, you gotta do some chugging. And then right around the end, you get some of the best writing about role-playing games that I have seen. You know, just, like, these really nice little nuggets of GM wisdom that I don't expect. I'm going to read three of them to you and then I'll be done because this book truly is like a land of contrast. It is a book that I don't know if I enjoyed reading. I don't think I would recommend playing or reading. I don't think I'm going to play, but I am glad that I read. So one thing is each rule of a role-playing game is ultimately a suggestion that Eminence Grice is inviting you, all of you, all members of the troop play together, always, even though 
there are bound to be differences of opinions or even conflicts within the troop, they must be part of the play to make it richer, more complex, more true, and never to break it or ruin it for anybody. Which is a really great sentiment if it followed it up with the actual lore and mechanics. Another bit is Agon allows you to play characters that have reached an astounding level of proficiency yet that have not yet grasped the deeper meaning of their existence which is another great little summation of like okay if you're these talented people like what are you doing in a role-playing game like are you accruing levels are you searching for something deeper and then this sentence killed me it's at the very end um gm advice section where it's talking about um you know like ask the players questions you know, uh, be interested in what they have to say, you know, and like chase their stories. Yes, and the players. But the sentence that really kicked me in the ass is this one. You will meet a legitimate need of your players. You will know their characters, which is great. Like as someone who is the forever GM, like Aaron mentioned, I run RPGs for middle schoolers at the library every single week and i love it because they're they're you know super creative and not embarrassed to you know use that creativity but i do think gming like serves such a legitimate need that players have which is knowing their characters which is like hearing and understanding and being invested in the creativity that they have produced and the fact that like i found that gem in this like bloated turd of a book is pretty amazing to me <laughs> i love uh rule books that say rules are just a suggestion because every single person that has written that in a book wrote a shitty fucking set of rules every single time somebody says that it is because they are referencing a book that has terrible game design in it it is like one of this is, this is not about you pointing it out. This is a pet peeve of mine, the, the idea that the rules are totally optional. The rules are optional, but like the rules are optional because there is nothing forcing you to play within them like a video game or a board game. But you're still picking a game in hopes that the rules help you play a more fun and better game. And oh, like, exclusively, every time somebody says that, it's usually about D&D because D&D has bad game design involved. It's usually about some like 300-page book that has 288 pages of shitty rules and then a, and and somebody knows somebody involved in the writing team knows that the rules are fucking shitty and so has to put in the little just so you know, rules are only a suggestion. You don't have to play with them. And I'm like, well, then why am I reading 288 pages of your stupid rules? And why should I pay $50 for it? <laughs> this is, if you can't do a game design well enough to not have to warn me about how bad your rules are, don't do a game design. But I <laughs> At like least stand to, on your own feet. I like to imagine that person, you know, who is like the fifth string designer on a project, <laughs> who is like you know serving up the morsel to us people who like we see what they see and they are not just going to like pretend they're going to say that like hey there's a lot of stuff here you can take what you want like there's an entire buffet you do not need to have one of everything on the buffet you don't have but the to buffet's huff. always you rotten don't... 
You yeah. don't have to huff all these farts. You can huff just some of them. You the can farts. save some in a jar for later. Like, no, S, no, like, I just feel like it's such a different game design mentality, also. Cause, like, when you talk about, like, like the OSR thrives on, like, you can take or leave rules, right? Like, like it, at least in my opinion, it's like a, a fundamental play philosophy of it, right? It's like, because I, and, but not, it's not written in the books. The books are just, are just rules they don't even have commentary most of the time on the rules <laughs> but it's still this like play philosophy and i feel like it's just a weird i don't know i think it's just a pet peeve because that's what people that that is like the number one sentence that people use to defend how bloated tnt is is <laughs> like you don't have to use it all you could just take or leave it and i'm like but i, I just want to leave everything it's so bad and that's great I, you can that's well yes i mean i would never play this game but that's I think, I think that that's it also comes from my design philosophy of like, I'm writing very different games from this in part because I think that like effective game design gets out of the way of players as soon as possible. You know, like I am just trying to smooth the connect the connective issue uh, tissue, smooth the connective tissue between the player and you know the creativity that a rule set will unlock for them and once i've unlocked that like i'm not interested in locking it back down so sometimes like with these chunky role-playing games i i like them as a launch pad because once we have a bedrock of crunch then i do like to try and escape from it some more but also i think that you are right that a lot of it is just folks covering their asses because when you have 300 pages of anything, you know, it's, it's never going to be like, you know, uh, a fine tuned tool the way like a really good knife. It's just like, well, you can do a lot of things with a knife, but it's always going to like fit in your pocket and serve like this range of purposes. I, as you were saying that, I was like, yeah, I feel like, have we read, slash there, do we know of a game book that is written by a fiction author? There has to be one. There has to be, like, or in, like, collaboration with, or whatever. I mean, I know one. Because, um... like, fiction authors write 300 pages of brilliance all the fucking time it seems to be exclusively game designers that can't fit 300 pages of goodness together right well, like I'm, it's not you know not to rush to the plug zone but <laughs> something that i'm running through possible worlds games is a residency intended to do exactly that um i have tapped two creatives from other fields we have linnea stert uh, who is a fantastic comics artist um their comic uh, stages of rot uh, was up for a bunch of awards, got a bunch of prizes. Um, their most recent book, uh, Frog in the Fall, just came out. Um, fantastic comics artist. And then uh, Renee Gladman, uh, who is a poet and a speculative fiction writer. And both of them, I approached them and was like, all right, I'm going to give you this lump sum of money. And over the course of 10 months, you are just going to be sending alternating illustrations and writing uh, for a world that we're going to build together. And at the end of this process, I'm going to take the images that Linnea has made and the prose and poetry that Renee has written, 
And I, as a game designer, am going to synthesize those things made by creatives in other fields who are experts in those fields and like massage that into a role-playing game. So instead of me as a game designer trying to be like the world's best art director, uh, like write the world's most beautiful prose, I'm able to just focus on like, yeah, I'm good at game design. I'm good at communicating with players and knowing what players need. And I get to let other creatives do the thing they're good at, get paid for it, and have their work introduced to a whole new audience. Yeah, I'm here for that. Hell yes. I feel like that's going to be much better than what I was envisioning. That is like, there has to be like a game out there written by like R.L. Salvatore or whatever. <laughs> like, oh, there's, yeah. like there's, has well, to be. Well, there is the like, um, the Eat Rocks. I don't think that would be great. I'm not think, I don't think that would be a good game. It's just always this weird like, like for me with, with my game design, it's like I don't feel super confident in my stylistic writing i feel more much more confident as a game designer than i do any kind of kind of writer um i spent most of my life being like i don't use words i make things pretty because i was a visual artist for a million years (laughs) and i was like please don't make me use words um and so i often like try to find other people to write the words for it but it feels like so much of the history of rpg books is game designers writing 300 page books and not like having good editors or like people that are trying to help them write words that are more prosy, right? Like it like, cause this is like, there's like a hundred pages of lore and it does feel like a world of darkness book and world of darkness has the same problem where there's like a hundred pages of lore. And I can't tell if I hate a hundred pages of lore in RPGs or if the hundred pages that are written for RPGs are just horrible fucking pages, right? Like I would read a hundred pages of many other things that could be like, I would read the novel that this is, was based on more probably faster and more enjoyably than if, than reading it in the game design book. And I don't know what about the format really makes lore so unappealing. Now, do you think you would like the role-playing game better afterwards if you did read those novels? I mean, I'm sure that would depend on how I felt about the novels, but like, Maybe we should maybe we should read The Witcher, Aaron. <laughs> maybe we should well, read what The about, Witcher game because uh, I I mean I've read The so Witcher I will, novels. I will say The Witcher is by friend of the podcast Mike Pondsmith. Oh. Oh, of course it is. Oh no! Well, we have to read it now. That's this 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 season cyberpunk. Yeah. Uh, have is, either is of the you Witcher? touched the um, Brandon Sanderson Eat Rocks Ship Magic? No, I actually hate... I tried to read a Brandon Sanderson book once, and I hated it. I think it's Mistborn are the novels. I've I've read many of his novels when I was a youth and didn't know better. Mistborn Adventure Game. It is a game where, like, the way magic works is you eat different kind of rocks and metals, and that gives you different kinds of magic. Which, as someone who got super jazzed about the weird painting sculpting magic... Like, I heard that and was like, oh, this is awesome. But then as soon as I found out that it was based on a series of novels, I was like, well, I'm much less interested now because I don't want to learn all the extra lore. Like, I don't want to feel like I am missing out on something or I'm playing the game wrong for having not read those books. And with this, I was like, well, I can't read those books. <laughs> like, this is a fun <laughs> exercise because I'm not going to be tempted by the fact that, you know, 
they just those novels haven't even come out in English, which is also weird that the role playing game did. Although I guess the role playing game is really successful in their own right. Maybe they thought it had more cross market appeal than the novels did. Yeah, maybe we could uh, we could read the Expanse RPG. People talk about the Expanse RPG a lot, but that's just an adaptation. These aren't. I don't know if the authors are involved. Because this is one of those. Because I'm trying to figure out. Because I, I mean, I said this last last episode that I just think the adaptations of things into role play games often fail, uh, and don't work out very well. Because I don't think that translating, I don't think the straight translations of one media into role playing games in particular works particularly well, or it at least like blinds a lot of folks to and. Maybe that's just what this book is, right? Like you have that question of was this in the book or is this good, is this good for the game, right? And I think that like when you're designing a game, if you ask the question, is this good for the game? Does this make the game better? And the answer is no, but it was in the book, then you should cut it. Like if the answer is no anything, then you should yeah. cut it from your book. But you can't do that when you're like translating a property, yeah, right? And so usually like those things fail. Uh, like I don't need to play the one ring. Right. Like I don't I don't ever need to play the one. I know even before going anywhere near that, that there's no world in which that gives me the feeling that I want to be out of Lord of the Rings or whatever. Is there um, a property, though, that if they were like, well, you can just like be this character, you can just be in this world. Would that be like ever an interesting draw to you of just like, hey, this like prepackaged, you know, microwave meal of a role playing game. You already know the world and characters just go nuts. I mean, if it was simple, maybe. I'm trying to think about what it would be. Because, like, <laughs> it's bound. No, that was fiasco. Because uh, I, I was like, oh, like, if you gave me... I think I just have no faith, right? Like, I am a pretty diehard Wachowski fan. And so, like, would... I'm thinking of big properties. I'm not thinking of like small things, small things that I enjoy. I'm trying to think. Of yeah, big small things so that for peasants. So that they're relatable. Yeah, small things for peasants. Uh, but like, and so if you gave me, I don't know, Jupiter Ascending, the role playing game, <laughs> because Jupiter that's Ascending exactly what I was going to say. But I was taking a drink. <laughs> <laughs> Jupiter Ascending, underrated. Yeah. Uh, super, like super high camp fantasy or sci-fi game if i could be Sean i would be B. tempted yeah i would be super tempted i just don't have a lot of faith that that wouldn't look like the dark souls rpg or whatever right, right? and that like, is part of why i gravitate towards games that are like okay we are going to recreate the genre trappings of this or totally. we are going to pay homage to this because if you tell me that like oh we're gonna play like high camp high fashion you know science fantasy like i immediately get super excited for what that could mean or can mean but when you say the jupiter ascending rpg because i have no connection with that i've i haven't seen the film etc um then i'm just kind of like well that's i i guess that'd be nice if you like it when really Tyler, you like the you promise wanna... of a film is like well, do you like these things? Watch this film. The Tyler, promise of an RPG be... should be you like these things. You'll like this mm. RPG. Tyler, do you want to be a Channing Tatum wolf boy? I mean, don't we all? Yeah. yeah. Hey, I don't, should oh, watch, you uh, should watch the movie now. You know, I am going to have to take that back because uh, Tatum, I hardly know him. 
Um, maybe Wolf. if we were a bit closer. Let's Wolf get indeed. out of here. This is a perfect transition into <laughs> our newest segment, which I will insist remain called Appendix Now. Which is like, let's just finish this podcast and say a thing we read or watched or saw that might Aaron's like, I fucking hate some this RPG game. Shit. Never, never I gotta again. walk some dogs. I'm tired. Um, I'm. This is funny because I am reading uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell right now, which, oh boy, is it a big book. It's a big, big book. <laughs> it's arguably too big of a book. Um, but it has this this funny, there's this funny thing about it being about uh, like tortured magicians in uh, England and there are moments that felt there there have been moments in reading these two things in parallel where they felt connected like the like the the you know the, the first little bit of the book is um Mr. Norell like hanging out with officials like gaining status because of magic <laughs> in like the actual uh in like the government and it it made me think like oh yeah so this is and it's but it's this like very dry humor book and so when i was reading like oh you get an office uh in agon like you get an off you get to have have like a position within like some kind of structure of power because of your magic use all i could picture was this like really dry kind of boring like ah yes today we want to figure out what to do about our foreign affairs or whatever right like it's very (laughs) very different than this like high fantasy epic whatever um but a hundred percent, I actually would be a little tempted if there was a Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell, like just boring magic in boring dark magic in England or whatever. I'd be like, yeah, maybe, maybe I'd play this game. You should make the pitch. <laughs> RPGs are all the rage right now. Give me the right. Nickelodeon I'll take it to Kickstarter. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, Aaron, do you want to go next or do you want me to take it? No, I'll go next so that you can go final and oh. then do a final. This is who I am, and then we'll. End if this. I read your agenda, I would know. We'll that. do this goddamn <laughs> podcast. We'll take it into the grave. Uh, I just finished all the volumes of The Invisibles by Grant Morrison and various artists, yes. which is a comic series from the '90s, end of the '90s and the 2000s, because I'm working on a game about like millenarian resistance the matrix the invisibles uh you know there's some rough shit in there for sure that's like about i don't know it's some young queers trying hard to write a comic that is uh reflective of their experience but yeah there's also trans witches so like yeah i and like grant morrison has since come out and been like oh i'm actually super non-binary and bisexual and obviously right we, we, yes. we saw it in your yes right and like uh but also like is using some terminology from the mid 90s that i think some people would find hurtful for today um yeah, totally. so don't like seek it out and dive in uh there are some content warnings but uh it was very important to me when i was yeah, a teen same yeah yeah uh tyler please take us out well if you like god forsaken Please take us, make us a gong. Now, I am going to read uh, a 
couple more passages from the book. Uh, if you could just be patient with me. Cool. I'm going to take these dogs for a walk. I'll talk to you all later. No, um, I will make... I, I want you, listener, to know that I am being 100% serious when I say that this is the highest recommendation that I can make. And that is the manga Chainsaw Man. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. on my list. Chainsaw yeah. Man is one of the best things I have read, period. It is so good. It's by Tatsuki Fujimoto, and it is it is a lot of things. It is, first and foremost, a real send-up of, like, the typical boys manga, um, where you have, like, a down-on-his-luck guy who, you know, makes a pact with a chainsaw demon, becomes Chainsaw Man, you know, uh, starts, like, fighting for justice, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But this is still, like, a manga protagonist who's just like, yeah, I the thing I want most in life is to touch a boob. <laughs> Legitimately, that is a plot point. And then, at a certain point, he does. And finds out that his life is not any better. And that, you know, wasn't really any kind of, like, emotion or connection attached to it. It was just a thing that he was told was great and that he should want. And when he got it, uh, it let him down. And so he moves up to being like, well, what I, I really want and need that will actually make me happy is like a kiss from a girl. And it is a manga of someone who just like does not know what they want and is just kind of chasing what they're told they want. And in the process, might manage to find like real things worth pursuing and treasuring. And I kid you not. Chainsaw Man is the piece of literature I have cried while reading more than any other text. It is a comic that, like, I will be sitting in the Aldi's parking lot a day later and think about a Chainsaw Man pa- uh, panel and just tear up some. It's oh, I thought you were saying you were reading it in Aldi's and it hit you so hard that you had to sleep there. And then a day later, wake up. Oh my gosh! (laughs) You there, boy! What day is it? It's Christmas Eve, Governor! Oh, I'm still time. Do they still have the goose? The one as big as you? Oh, yes, as big as me! Uh, Fetch it to me, boy, and I'll give you a threepence for your time. Anyway, all that... Shout out to all these, they got the biggest gooses. (laughs) (laughs) You can get a subscription to the Shonen Jump app. You can read it on an iPad, yes, on your phone. It is a value. $2 a month. And you can read 100 chapters of manga a day. You can download those so that you can read it like outside of Wi-Fi. 100 a day. It is the best deal going. And yeah. You can you, get a baby Goku with his dick out tattooed on your skin and they don't even care. Yeah. And it will be more expensive than a Shonen Jump subscription. <laughs> shout out to the original run of dragon ball where goku just ran around with his dick out dragon ball's good dragon ball anime is good manga's good agon you're on thin ice (laughs) (laughs) i won't say it's bad but i will say it's on thin ice uh tyler please tell people where they can find you 
you can go to www.possibleworldsgames.com. You'll find links to everything that I do there. Uh, if you're looking to talk to me, mostly on Twitter, at PossibleWGames. Uh, the W is for my middle initial. It's William. The W is for whatever. Puff <laughs> my, my farts. Um, we still got a Ko-Fi, a coffee. I don't know where that is. We still got a Discord. You can really? come Do hang you not out. Know where it is? Also, like I'll have people know that I'm a I'm a real fan. I have the Traveler uh, cassette tape on my desk right now. Oh, so you know, very exclusive club. Hey, people have started seeing the the. Uh, yeah, I missed my first... chance to get False Bottom. Yeah. Well, you'll have another chance. We're going to make another round. I just have to go get the fancy paper. Mm. Um, but also, at some point in the not-too-distant future, we are going to have issue two will exist. This is a thing that we're going to do ongoing. I had an idea about what a future issue could be while we were chatting today. So maybe that'll appear. Maybe we'll... This is our attempt to take the good things out of the shitty books that we read sometimes. Some of them are not shitty books, but we're still just trying to find some good things. I'm just really excited for, you know, after however many volumes it takes to finally reach the true bottom, you know, to just like whittle away like it's, these false it's, bottoms. It's bottoms all the way down. <laughs> um, next time, I think we are doing Apocalypse World. We are doing Apocalypse World, which is going to have more weird sex stuff. Yeah. Um Come special, back for more special shitty weird sex. No, special co-host uh, Sarah Franco, who is running Apocalypse World on a stream called Dirt, I think on Nat20. I'll try to find a link to put in the description. Um, but Apocalypse World is one of my favorite games and something I've run a whole lot. And so I'll be very biased and... Uh, defensive about anything Max says. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna come for the jugular. <laughs> like this game, shit. just take your biker boots to it. Yeah, yeah. We're just gonna, we're gonna have our second fight. Second fight. Be here for our second fight. Do you have a fun uh, quote for us, Aaron? Oh, I do. Hold on. I'm yes. I'm dog sitting, and I had I found it, and I put it a bookmark in, and then I put it in my hamper full of clean clothes that i aaron's just <laughs> fantasizing about falling asleep in an aldi's parking lot i, I would <laughs> like, fall asleep if, anywhere right now if only okay Brent, give us that i'm so curious about what nugget you pulled out of these seven hundred thousand words a medusa cannot fall in love she loves only her snakes which are often jealous and always possessive she must care for them cherish them and show them they're foremost in her mind. She can never be more than a friend to anybody else unless she decides to abandon her inheritance to become human. In that case, the serpents quickly die. Goodbye! Snaps! Poetry reading! (laughs) Bye! Bye!